When disaster strikes, chaos often results. However, when the Minneapolis bridge collapsed, emergency medical services turned chaos into smooth operations. What led to this well-executed emergency rescue? You are listening to a special report on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing generic drugs for new uses. And with me are Mike Murphy and Jeff Sison, Operations Supervisors, North Memorial Ambulance Service that serves the Minneapolis metropolitan area. Mike was stationed at the scene of the bridge collapse, while Jeff was stationed at the headquarters during the response. Mike, Jeff, and I are discussing the importance of disaster incident management. Mike and Jeff, welcome to Reach MD. Good morning. Thank you for having us, Dr. Bloom. What were your roles during the bridge collapse? Uh, this is Mike Murphy. Uh, I was the uh, operations supervisor at the time, so I was on duty, and I responded to the bridge collapse as soon as I heard something had happened. It was uh, The information was coming in pretty spotty at first, and it was unclear exactly what had gone on. But we knew that something significant had happened in downtown Minneapolis. So I uh, headed for that area. And my initial role when I first arrived on the scene was to try and to coordinate the staging area or try to uh, help with controlling uh, patients or finding a collection point where we could start to accumulate patients, assess their injuries, and decide on transportation priorities. The initial staging area was uh, pretty confusing, but that was my initial role. Later on during the incident, I moved over to the other side of the river and uh, assisted one of the other Hennepin County supervisors with uh, staging on that side of the river and assessing the uh, the needs that were over there. And how'd you get across the river with the bridge out? <laughs> Good question. Um, actually, I was not as familiar with that area as the, uh, the primary ambulance service that people were. So it took me a little while to find a route across the river. There are numerous bridges in downtown Minneapolis, but they weren't all serviceable at the time. Some of them, there was some concern that... Uh, more than one bridge might be suspect. There was a lot of pedestrian traffic, a lot of vehicular traffic, and it made getting back and forth across the river quite a challenge, actually. And Jeff, what were you doing during the bridge collapse? Well, you can never really schedule these incidents. I was actually in the middle of a uh, several-week vacation uh, and at my daughter's soccer game. I was standing there with one of the Hennepin County Ambulance Service supervisors that uh, Mike had mentioned. This actually occurred in their area, his daughter and uh, one of my other coworkers. We started to get text messages coming through at about three minutes after six showing that, you know, there had been this collapse. Uh, they believed it to be 35W, and we all kind of glanced at our watches and noticed it was, you know, just after six o'clock and realized it would be the tail end of rush hour. So we immediately kind of let everybody know we had to go and uh, took off from there, and I reported back into our ambulance base. On the way in there, I called Mike, just said, hey, I heard what's going on. I'm on my way in. He was on his way to the scene at the time. And I kind of relieved him of his shift duties, you know, some of the scheduling and the mundane stuff that goes on every day so he could focus on his efforts down there at the bridge. And then called in additional staff, um, administrative personnel, and just uh, overall kind of coordinated our mutual aid response from our ambulance base. And, Mike, describe the scene when you arrived. Well, you mentioned chaos in your introduction, and uh, that was the word that comes to mind. It was very chaotic. I probably uh, arrived within 15 minutes of when the bridge actually collapsed. And uh, I was actually surprised by the, the level of chaos that I found. Uh, initially, we weren't sure the, uh, the extent of the event. And our primary responsibility, since this occurred in the Hennepin County Ambulance, uh, their service area, our primary responsibility is to uh, is in a support role. And so 
the initial scene that I found when I first got there was we had an initial staging point that we were all directed to. Uh, and when I got there, uh, which was located about a block from the west end of the collapsed bridge, uh, we could clearly see the bridge from where we were at. We were still a block or a block and a half away. Uh, a number of ambulances uh, that were responding uh, converged on that location. I think the, the, the most striking feature was the number of uh, people. There were hundreds, if not thousands, of pedestrians uh, milling around uh, wanting to see the bridge. It was difficult to tell uh, if there were any injured among them, so we were initially trying to sort out who was injured, who was not injured, who was part of the response effort, who was just uh, uh, gawkers or the general public. Yeah, they made travel very difficult. Uh, they congested the streets. They made uh, vehicular traffic difficult. The scene was pretty much uh, total chaos when I first got there. We kind of anticipated that, but at the same time, it's, it's hard to describe the, the feeling that a scene like that presents to you. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 233, the channel for medical professionals. This is a special report on the Minneapolis bridge collapse. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, your host, and I'm speaking with Mr. Mike Murphy and Mr. Jeff Sison, operations supervisors at North Memorial Ambulance Service during the Minneapolis bridge collapse. So what was the biggest challenge at the scene, Mike? Without a doubt, it was communications, and I'm sure in incidents like this that happen around the country, um, I'm pretty sure that most people would tell you that that's always right at the top of their list of difficulties and challenges. Within, I'm sure within five or ten minutes of the collapse, uh, cell phones were pretty much uh, useless or unreliable, and that left us with our radio communications, which we practiced considerably, but we had an EMS director as part of the uh, command structure, and he was trying to direct a number of response units uh, because of the, uh, the scope of this incident. There were staging areas for ambulances and collection points for patients on both sides of the river, upstream from the bridge, downstream from the bridge, really four different sectors or operational areas that he had to coordinate. Communications was, was his toughest role. Unfortunately, because of our experience with um, uh, joint exercises and practice drills that we've had in the past, the supervisory personnel that showed up on the scene, we were all pretty familiar with what the EMS director was trying to accomplish. So we had a pretty good idea. We did. We were able to accomplish a lot without directly communicating with him because we knew where he was going. We knew what he was trying to accomplish, and it, it made that a lot easier. But the communications, as always, was a very difficult challenge. And, Jeff, what was the biggest challenge for you stationed at headquarters and not being at the scene? Uh, it was really just coordinating staff. We had a huge outpouring of staff that reported in and wanted to be a part of the uh, the efforts to help out. We made it very clear to everybody that we were not going to be sending everybody down to the bridge site. That frequently plagues uh, disaster response of any kind. You know, unrequested resources showing up on scene and having to be dealt with. And uh, again, that just continues to plague the entire country. Uh, people want to help, but it's not always the best thing you can do. So for us, it was bringing people into the base and then holding them there and using them in uh, mutual aid response for just other 911 calls that continued to come in uh, into Hennepin County Service Area, our regular calls that we normally had, and just continuing to function along those lines. Jeff, what were your sources of information about what was going on at the scene? One of the first people I had to actually have come into the command post with me was uh, Chuck Lindstrom, one of our managers from one of our outstate areas, and I immediately handed him a radio and said, I need you just to monitor what's going on at the scene, knowing full well that Mike was going to be, you know, extremely busy with uh, the things he had going on, 
And I said, just, just, that's all I want you to do. Keep an open ear and just listen to what goes on there. That allowed us to anticipate some different things and have some uh, background discussions with the leadership down at Hennepin County, being able to provide them with things they needed before they really had to ask. Not so much at the scene, but just in operating in the background. So I think that served us very well. And was it helpful for you to watch the television and see what was going on from the media broadcasts? Absolutely. We, uh, we actually installed televisions in our supervisor's office as well as our command center back at our ambulance base. You know, as you know, the media, a lot of times with the resources they have, get very accurate information very quickly. And that's always a benefit for us. Let me ask you guys, how did the mock exercises and training drills that you did help prepare for this disaster? This is Mike again. We've done a, a large number of training exercises. We've been working on our response plan for at least the last four or five years. Every exercise we've done, every disaster drill has been extremely helpful. We've learned things. We've learned how to cooperate with each other. We've learned how to establish our command and control, which is a key element of, of any kind of disaster response. Uh, and we've learned how to coordinate our activities with the other public safety agencies, police, fire, and EMS, all have a role to play in these responses. And if they don't exercise together, if they don't practice drills together, then they can't be as efficient as they should be when an incident like this happens. The joint exercises that we've held, in my mind, were the key to as good a response as we had. And did you ever train for something like this kind of a bridge collapse? Uh, this is Jeff. Well, we didn't train specifically for a bridge collapse. A lot of what we do uh, with our exercises anyway is really focus on certain aspects of the response. One exercise, we may focus on communications. Uh, another exercise, it could be, you know, the triage component of things. And another one, it could just be, you know, rapid transportation of patients. All of those need to come together to any disaster response just to get you through it. And I think in doing that, it probably served us better than, you know, actually trying to create exercises for every possible contingency. Preparedness is a bit of a myth. There's no way to be completely prepared for everything thrown at you. You need to be flexible and able to maneuver just so you can respond efficiently and effectively. And how often do you train for these kinds of disasters? This is Mike again. Actually, I'd like to add a little something to what Jeff just said. When we do exercises, the scenarios that we choose are quite varied, and sometimes we'll practice our response to a school shooting or a hazardous material event or a tornado prevalent in this part of the country. Uh, so we practice different scenarios, but the response plan that we use uses the same command and control organization for each one of those so that the idea is that whatever incident we respond to, whatever disaster, whatever kind of a mass casualty incident we have to deal with, we won't have to change our plan at all. We can use the same thing that we've been training with regardless of the incident. And while we didn't actually plan for a bridge collapse, our response plan was the same that we would have used regardless of what, in, what kind of an incident happened. So that was the really helpful part of the, uh, having one response plan that you, that you stick to. What did you learn from this incident that will be helpful next time? This is Jeff. I, I think it showed us that we're on the right path, that working together, establishing those open lines of communication between ambulance services, we don't really view ourselves as competing with each other as much of the country may. It's really a collaborative, cooperative effort. And I think that that collaboration, cooperation, that air of teamwork really resonated and showed through in this particular event. Really, when we've done our exercises over the last few years, you can do exercises and, and drills, but you can never duplicate the emotion and the adrenaline and the, of, the, of the real event. So by going through this event, it really has, in our minds at least, has validated 
what we've been practicing over the last few years, and it, it, as Jeff said, uh, it has given us a good indication that I think we're on the right track as far as incident response go. When a disaster incident management plan is in place, physicians and other healthcare professionals can do their jobs of saving lives. Nothing exemplifies this more than the success of the emergency response when the entire span of Interstate 35W bridge collapsed in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I want to thank our guests, Mr. Mike Murphy and Mr. Jeff Sison, operations supervisors at North Memorial Ambulance during the Minneapolis bridge collapse, for helping us understand the importance of implementing the plan. I am attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing generic drugs for new uses. And you've been listening to a special report on ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. For questions and comments, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.